Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Starbucks pistachio latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Ray and Mark is stopping in before we start this week's episode to remind you that our new client, our new sponsor, 1CBD, can help you in managing whatever little aches and pains you have in life. We keep seeing the evidence about how CBD helps to manage the pain, and both Ray and I use it with medicinal to help really knock that pain out. And that's why I was interested in hearing more about 1CBD, because they use all-natural organic organic strains. They remove the THC in a safe scientific way that gives you the purest CBD available. And we've spoken with Ty Burgess, the CEO of 1CBD, a few times. He uses it and he helped develop this product because of his personal health issues. And his experience as a hospital CEO, he understands pain management and he put all that knowledge and experience into 1CBD. Check them out. Their website is 1CBD.com. That's O-N-E-C-B-D.com. I was surprised by the variety of products that they have. So it's not just, you know, tincture in a bottle with a dropper. There's gummies and all kinds of stuff. Go check them out at 1CBD.com. And there's a code you can enter to save some money on your first purchase. Right, Marcus? That code for a nice discount is BALANCE, B-A-L-A-N-C-E. O-N-E-C-B-D.com. That's 1CBD.com for living your best life. Ray and Marcus here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. And today we want to talk about a band that's been together, same three guys, over 50 years. We're talking about a band that showed up Jimi Hendrix. That's pretty insane, the fact that they were able to show up Jimi Hendrix the way he kind of threw one at the Beatles. And that's just part of the story that we're going to tell today about that little old band from Texas. I'm talking about the pride of Houston, ZZ Top. Such a great band. With them cheap sunglasses, the fact that they went nationwide the way they did. And they blew were up the world. while doing it. They blew up the world with a video about legs. Blew the world up. Well, I 
Now, we're doing the uh, podcast about ZZ Top, and I usually wear Bausch & Lomb's, but you note that I just slid into my new Oakley's that Santa brought so I, I'm going to do this entire podcast episode because well, I think it's I think it's the right mood, don't you? I mean, we can't fit the car in here. We definitely can't fit the car in here. We can't fit any bikes in here. And if we run those bikes, they'll be too loud to hear us talking. What? Exactly. We'll be asking what <laughs> over and over. <laughs> I'm wearing my cheap bike riding sunglasses. But it looks good on you. Ha <laughs> ha. And I got a free hat with that or purchase. It's the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Ray Coob and Marcus in the darkest. Brought to you as always by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro. Marcus, they built a stage and soundproofing. It's gone high tech here when they reopen the doors at the brew pub. I know if you go to their Facebook page, you can actually check out the work. They put it all up as they were doing it, and it looks really nice. And it's on our page, too, our uh, Facebook page, Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. So, shall we go down to Texas? I think we should. Go see these boys. Yeah. How have they done it? How have they been together over 50 years with just really no real breaks? They didn't break up or anything or have any of that kind of stuff. There have been no reunions, just getting back together and going again uh, through the years, through the decades. The story of how they came together is pretty fascinating as yeah. well. I mean, and the fact that they had some things in common and yet they didn't know they had those things in common makes it even cooler. And then... A part of the story, which we will get into, which actually is the part that blows me away the most. The thing that was the commonality that blew my mind was radio. And we always talk about how, you know, radio can have a huge influence on people because it gives you music, you know, in the night, so to speak. But they were all listeners to the X stations, the Mexican stations. All of those stations all had blues shows, a lot of blues shows. So these guys all grew up listening in different areas of Texas. They were listening to the same shows at the same time, kind of like that staring at the moon and going, oh, you know, my darling, I know she's looking at the same moon tonight, but they didn't even know each other existed in those early days when they fell in love with the blues. Let's talk about the blues, because you had an interesting thought about ZZ Top and the way they do the blues, I guess you'd say. It's got a boogie-woogie feel to it. And it's kind of a happy blues in a way. It's like blues with a party. More than one person over the years said it. ZZ Top played the blues, but they didn't sing the blues. And they made blues into more like party music. Even in the early stuff, it was closer to the roots of Muddy Waters and the, and the, and the Texas guys, the Three Kings and all the other people that influenced Billy as a guitar player. And the three of them in the way that they looked and listened to and played the blues. Yeah, they kind of gave it that uh, Texas rattlesnake attitude where you kind of went boogie into the blues versus moping to the blues. You know, when I boogie too much, sometimes my knees hurt. 
My ankles hurt when I boogie. So I want to stop up and thank Ty and uh, everybody at One CBD, our new sponsors, and thank them for their support of the podcast. And I, I, need, I think I'm going to need to take a vial full, a milliliter at the break, you know, and maybe some medicinal too. I'm just warning you. <laughs> Let's talk more about how ZZ Top got together because uh, Frank met Dusty first, and they were in Dallas then. And when they met, it was a, a show where Frank's band was opening for Dusty's band. Him and his brother Rocky had like a really high-end unit there in, in Dallas. And he was there the first night, stayed and watched them. And then unbeknownst to him, the next night, same place, same show, they came to watch him and offered him the gig in their band. And that's how they connect. And they ended up playing together for a while. They ended up going down to Houston, opening up for one of Billy Gibbons' bands. So they had heard about him. Yeah, that's how they had heard about him. It sounds like from what we're reading and what we've learned through the documentary as well, but again, because of the mysteriousness, which we'll get into, of ZZ Top, there's some of that that's a little unknown still, but it seems like Billy Gibbons had had quite a name for himself in the music community up until that point. People were talking about him. And they did uh, a good job of documenting it in the uh, documentary. It's called That Little Old Band from Texas, ZZ Top. And it's uh, done, you know, uh, big time movie style with the proper credits and all that starring, you know, Billy F. Gibbons and all that. And it's really got so much great stuff in there. And one of the things that's really great, I suggest you watch it on Netflix before they take it and put it away somewhere. So around Houston, there was this uh, band called the 13th Floor Elevator, and they were making a scene. There wasn't much going on in rock and roll in Houston before that, I guess. And uh, they were playing, playing all over the place, making a name for themselves. So Billy and his guys, they were, I think they were even before he hooked up with the ZZ Trio, uh, they were a little off the center, a little bit imbalanced, if you will. And uh, he thought, well, if they're going to go up, we're going to go out. And he thought of moving sidewalks, like I guess that was like the uh, the new thing there in the air, at the aerospace headquarters in Houston. Maybe there was some some you know, I hadn't heard of a moving sidewalk except for on the Jetsons. Maybe that's where he got it from. Who the hell knows? But. Uh, he talks about that and uh, in the, in the uh, documentary, which I highly recommend people check out. And that's how he got things going and ended up in the way of uh, Dusty and Frank later. This part of the story is probably the most mind-blowing part of the story for me as far as ZZ Top goes. Frank Beard had his girlfriend with him. He was pregnant. He loaded He up, was pregnant? Or she was pregnant. I'm Thank sorry. God. She was pregnant. That would be a hell of a history story. Yeah, no story. kidding. It'd be like twins. <laughs> his girlfriend was pregnant. He loaded all his equipment into a car, drove to Houston because he knew he had the jam with Billy Gibbons. There was this thing inside him, and he was junked on speed, and he admitted his drug use throughout the documentary, but he said he was junked on speed, drove from Dallas to Houston. I couldn't believe it when he said that, how I know. frankly he And he spoke. was so, yeah, he was so just 
blunt frank about it. He yeah. was just like, yeah, I was jacked on speed, drove there because I knew I had to meet Billy Gibbons. But what happens next is even more amazing. I know. Can you believe it? They, he ended up running into him, finding him. They ended up jamming together for like eight hours because All he was still speeded. Up. He was still speeded out of his brain. Wow. But then he was like, hey, this is pretty good. And he was like, I know a bass player that you got to play with. And that's how it happened. Yep. Let me just say that uh, the setting for the uh, documentary is also Aces. They chose to uh, do it in Groon Hall in Groon, Texas, the oldest dance hall in Texas. It's a beautiful place. And I guess to make the setting right and to be used as a backdrop for the documentary, they went in there and did what they did when they first got together, a little thing they called Shuffle in C. But when they first met, they played for like three hours, right? Yeah, they played for like three hours wow. uninterrupted. Just, just, just jamming that. on that. I wonder if they recorded that out of curiosity, that first jam together. Probably not. Yeah, it's not like, you know... It's Think about it if you were like in a, a band, just like when you were like, a, maybe, you know, we're half our age and we're, we're both musicians, meeting the guys and just feeling each other out. You're not really thinking about recording it for posterity. Oh, but what if you want to record it and then play it back and be like, yeah, I really like the chemistry and just listen back to make sure that, you know. No, that's a different thing altogether. That would be what I would think. Yeah, I guess a lot of people do that, too. But we all think differently. <laughs> <laughs> So that setting kind of drops in throughout the documentary. And I do, again, remind you to check it out on Netflix. I think it's still on there. Of course, you know, podcasts are forever, Marcus. We've learned this. So, they, you know, whatever the current situation, I'm sure you can find it. In there, they're also talking about once they got together, you know, they knew they needed a new name. And uh, they go through the whole process, which verifies the uh, what you would call the urban legend of how they got their name from two different blues men. It, 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 a little bit because it was uh, ZZ Hill is well, well that's easy to figure yeah. but how they got top was because the, they wanted to be at the top right they wanted to be at the top of a poster like BB King yeah like BB King because they tried that yeah and it didn't work on their on their ZZ King no yeah. ZZ top because they wanted to be on top of BB King on the uh, listing of bands I understand that because you know what there were already three kings of the blues in Texas and maybe they were smart and they, look what happened all this stuff, man. ZZ Top is a even their logo now. The uh, the '80s, whatever stylized version of the '80s logo that you see, it's it's almost a standard everywhere with them. They change it or alter it here and there, but um, they created something that will last longer than any of their original fans or them or even some of the kids uh, that are finding them now or people like you who got into them when they were breaking in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And your experience with ZZ Top is different than, say, mine, who found them in the early 70s. I heard them a little bit on rock radio in the 70s, but really it was the Eliminator, the legs, the, you know, the videos, the the cars, the glitz, the glam, you know, all the sparkly gold and silver that just kind of smacked you in the head over and over on those videos. And it wasn't uh, gaudy or anything. It was fun. Yeah, they definitely took kept the fun in the blues versus you know we know the blues to be heartbreaking sad and depressing music and it's something that they kind of pretty did that good chunk of it clown upside it turned that clown frown upside down <laughs> i know i hate to use that cliche that uh but to you, you just did, i know i'm sorry wah, wah, wah. <laughs> 
It's the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. We're talking about ZZ Top, Tres Hombres, which is the name of their uh, third record. That was clever, right? Trace using that with three hombres in yes. for the third record. But before we go there, they got to experience something that doesn't exist really in the record business, if you want to call it that anymore. They got to do albums as artist development. You know, the first record um, called First Album, and then Rio Grande Mud and Trace Hombres. Really, those albums were them developing the sound that they would have later in their career and laying the basis for everything that would explode on Fandango. Josh Homme mentioned and talked a little bit about the early days in the documentary, as well as Billy Bob Thornton, who were both prominent voices telling their stories of ZZ Top and what ZZ Top meant to them through both uh, their worlds as and Josh Homme being a very, very competent student of rock and roll made some good points but they talk about the texas music and the texas sound and and the mystique behind them which i think was very important in creating their image and kind of introducing them to the world because people had this view back then of texas that wasn't necessarily positive it was a good old boy view And it was constructed by people from Texas. So it wasn't like it came up out of nowhere. Guys like ZZ Top had to work against what was considered the norm. And at one point in the documentary, Dusty talks about being in a band with blue hair and long hair in that era before ZZ Top in the 60s. Yeah, it's because of that. Just a good old boy. You know, that that kind of musical thing was in vogue way more than rock and roll was back then. Frank Beard also wore jeans, loafers, and white socks in Texas, and he was kind of thought of as a weirdo in Texas, too, for wearing that outfit. At one point, he said, white socks was all I had. You know, I I, I really like these guys, and I I admire Frank for a lot of his honesty uh, and his own substance abuse issues through the years. And some of that was what was going on during some of those what were called natural breaks, and some of it was just, you know, them getting out of their skin and getting away from it because it starts to get bigger and bigger, and the live shows get bigger. When you get to... You know, 1975's Fandango, which is one half new songs and one half live. All of a sudden, it's like a turning point for the band. Crowds are getting bigger. They're starting to play arenas. They take the uh, Texas to the People Tour, or as they call it, the Worldwide Texas Tour. But the T-shirts all said, Taking Texas to the People. They made a stage in the shape of Texas, and they tilted it up just enough so everybody could see what, what it was. They had livestock. You've heard about this. They've had livestock that would come up the, with, out of the stage. The, the, the bison, I think, and uh, they had birds that were on, tied to the, the, the fence posts, and they had fence posts, and they had windmills and all kinds of shit. And all with the proper lighting to make it look like they were just standing there on the prairie playing, have mercy. People were losing their fucking minds. And of course, the music was over the top. And it wasn't as cartoonish as the stuff in the 80s would be, but it was just as much theatrical. And it worked. 
And really, that tour lasted, in my mind, longer than the T-shirt, unfortunately. Yeah. It was like a stock show, rock and roll show. Seriously. You had animals. You had, I wonder if they had like petting zoos and stuff like that for <laughs> people to come in. And, I don't think like, so. Seriously, in the Northeast, people who had never seen all these farm yeah. animals before. Canned response. Yeah, I got something you can pet, but it ain't in a zoo. (laughs) Uh, But that is a turning point for them because they really went big time. Now, a long time before that, they they met this fella, Bill, and uh, he was a pretty good manager of stuff, and he had decided he was going to become a music manager. And he came, approached them in the the documentary. They make it seem as simple as uh, him just kind of walking in going, hi, I'm Bill Hamm. Uh, I manage stuff, and I want to get in the music business. Do you guys need a manager? I think you got what it takes. He helps them to get the thing on track and to get signed to London Records here in the States, which is the American uh, side of DECA. And they get enough time to really go out there and make themselves three really good, improving records. Every record got better. Uh, They got more and more uh, attention from radio and activity with the songs on them. And then they get the Fandango, and the thing is just like a house on fire. It's just running, and and everything's going large. And things are about to advance to another level for ZZ Top. But speaking of going large, let's check in with our friends at Crooked Eye Brewery. You know, Marcus, with life on hold, our friends at Crooked Eye Brewery want everyone to stay safe so that we can all get through this. And I know you're uh, washing your hands a lot, right? I am definitely keeping as clean as I can be, washing my hands, using safe distancing. Ray, you know, they also want you to know over at Crooked Eye that you can bring your growler to the brewery on Montgomery Avenue in Hatboro for a refill. Yes, as long as this thing goes on and they have beer, you can do that. Yeah, the boys have been busy, right? They have been very, very busy. Hey, Marcus, I learned something about our buddies at Crooked Eye during the last week or so. What's that? We always thank Paul and Paul and the gang there at the brewery, but I found out that a lot of people call Paul Moheran Pete. What? So do we thank Paul and Pete and Jeff for their continued support and keeping things going there at the brewery? I think we do, and we want you to keep up on the latest developments at Crooked Eye on their social media sites as well as at CrookedEyeBrewery.com. And while there's no live music in the brewery right now, go to Crooked Eye Brewery Online Open Mic on Facebook for nightly live performances in the Crooked Eye spirit. Crooked Eye Brewery, the cure for what ails you since 2014. It's all about Trace Ombre's ZZ Top this week on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. Well, they were going to leave London and they were headed to the Bunny Hutch and ended up signing with Warner Brothers Records. The Bunny Hutch? Sure, that's what they used to call Warner Brothers uh, Records headquarters. You've never been there? No, never heard that. Right across the street from the Burbank Warner Brothers lot. Uh, There's like a really cool, low-slung, I think it's two- or three-story office building. And that was Warner Brother Records headquarters for a long time. That's where I went to to visit people. Cool. And they used to call it the Bunny Hutch. Just across across the street from the studios. So they get with Warner Brothers, and they're going to come back with uh, 1976's Tejas. And then there's a little break. It's one of those little walkabout breaks. You know, they've been building this thing. They've been having successful tours, selling more records every time they go out. They sign with Warners, presumably a real nice deal for them. And they quietly, I'd say quietly, 
disappeared for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. There was a point where people really weren't talking about them or where they were or what was going on. That kind of was by design in, in a lot of ways, right from the beginning of when Bill Ham took over, right? Yeah. yeah Bill Ham, quite a manager. One of the yeah. many things that really was smart about the way he did business is he knew how to build mystique with this band by keeping them out of the press as much as possible. During those early days, they did hardly any interviews. Very few. Even when they were on tour and stuff, they didn't do a lot of press. It was very limited. And it, I don't think they were in any major magazines in any significant way up until 79 or 80. So he did a great job with that and getting them that deal at Warner Brothers. You're right about both of those things. And I think when they ended up on cover of Rolling Stone, I think it was, it was because they had created the mystique you're talking about, had disappeared. Where have they been? What have they been doing? There was actually that kind of a thing after a while leading up to, and I don't know how much Bill had to do with orchestrating that because he really was like the anti-PR PR guy. There they come. They're, they're, they're leading up to, and it's DeGueo, which we know is a great record, right? Great record. So they know they've got the goods, and yet they kind of disappeared. And then when they come back, they've got these long beards. Well, two of them did. Funny, because the guy named Beard didn't really have a beard. He was clean cut. But, you know, and, and Billy and, and Dusty had grown these long beards. At that point, they were probably a good three, four, six inches, somewhere in there. It didn't take long, because they weren't cutting them. It didn't take long till they were grown down to the middle of their chest. And that's the, that's the image that a lot of American music fans, a lot of music fans in general, first got of ZZ Top, because they weren't to that level of... I don't know, Michael Jackson, if you want to use it as an example, they weren't in that level until they got the Eliminator record out. And then it was just way crazy and over the top. And they would tell me about that in an interview uh, with them uh, that I did a long time ago that scared the shit out of me. I know. I can't wait to uh, hear about that little story about you getting uh, the daylight scared out of you by three little old boys from Texas. It happened. But they went on a real tear, though, you know, because they come in with DeGueo and El Loco and then Eliminator. And uh, the next one, Afterburner, was still solid, still solid. And even, I mean, they jokingly called the next one Recycler, you know, after a three-year break. They took off five years between Afterburner and Recycler. So that's three albums in nine years. Who the fuck they think they are? Tool? <laughs> They're actually more productive than Tool. That's true. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Twice or three times as productive as Tool. But in that era, it was like, who do they think they are? In the uh, late 80s into the 90s, uh, the recordings become more spaced out, and there's touring, a lot of touring, but they weren't hungry dying for the spotlight so much so that they didn't take a year off after a long tour and just go do what they wanted to do. You see in the, in the documentary, they got some nice houses. They got some very nice houses, but think about I love I love Dusty's spread out there in Tennessee. It's just beautiful. And then oh, he yeah. shows you all the stuff that he collected. Oh, yeah. And then and then uh, Billy's showing you all the stuff. He's got all the posters, including that time they played with Hendrix. I know that Hendrix show. Can you believe that before they were known, they played with Hendrix? And the Doors and a bunch of other people. I know. It's amazing how different the music scene was back then. And bands like that were able to get a break, whereas today it's a lot harder to do that. Concert production would become better and better and better over the years. Same with promotion and all the other elements that made producing live concerts better and better. But there you are, right there, you know, trying to make it happen. And in the case of uh, local shows, we've talked about it a couple times, you know, you sometimes had a built stage and a 
IPA that was kind of like put together and some of it was good and some of it was dicey, but they (laughs) ended up, but they ended up getting a chance to open for Hendrix when he was breaking out. I just thought that it was really cool that they didn't even probably know it, that they kind of did to him a little bit of what he did to uh, Paul and George at that show when he played Sgt. Pepper back in London. They gave him a little bit of his own medicine there. Yeah, it was Purple Haze and Foxy Lady or Hey yeah, Joe. They ran out of songs. They needed an encore. They played two of his. See you yep. later, folks. Yep. <laughs> and Jimmy was impressed with the fact that they did it. They sounded good. I would love to hear how they did Jimi Hendrix at that time with that with that drop C boogie uh, note. It would be really cool to hear that groove. But with I, him playing over it with Billy? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can only imagine. What I really wish we had is the picture that they describe of Jimmy and the Wings smiling and laughing while they're doing it and getting the joke, which is really great. And I think because he knew what kind of joke he pulled on the Beatles, so he got paid back a little bit. Texas style, I guess. Yeah, it just shows you that Texas attitude runs runs deep. The stick to is uh, prevalent in Texas. It's a a character trait, and they have stuck with each other. They have stuck with each other through life. It's ups and downs. It's career changes. They move over to RCA Records, who uh, they recorded uh, Antenna and Rhythmine for. I'm not sure if they did Triple X for them or not. You know, they haven't put out a record in, what, eight years at this point, and I don't think they need to. They're always doing neat stuff. Unfortunately, they have had health challenges that have forced them to cancel parts of a few tours. That's always hard for the fans because you love everybody in the band and you're, you're pulling for them and you don't want them to hurt themselves, but you want to see them too. And see them we have, right? Uh, yes, we have. We've both seen them. I've seen them only one time, but it was a great show. It was ridiculously great at the MM Barbecue. I've been listening to their music forever, but never had seen them live. Well, the first time I saw them was at that uh, Worldwide Texas tour at the Spectrum. That's amazing. And you that got was, to see the stock show yeah, on stage. That was the first That's time I rad. saw Blue Oyster Cult, and also the first time that I saw Ted Nugent. They were all, that was the bill. I think it was five bucks. That's a great bill. Five bucks for that show. Yeah. That's insane. And you pointed something else out for ZZ Top later in the career. They've been touring more and recording albums less. Yeah. And part of that is a change in the music industry because before the 90s, bands made their money on album sales. And then the digital revolution completely changed all of that. And now the bands make their money on live shows way more so than they do on recordings and spins because you have Spotify and places like that that don't really pay them very not well paying anybody. at all for their music. So it's more dependent on the live show for them to make the money. That is the conventional way of looking at it, right? But simply. I, le- I was reading Danny Goldberg's book about Kurt Cobain. We got to talk about that. I know. He was talking about that by the early 90s even. It was to the point where the real money to be made wasn't touring. And this is before merchandising got as big as it has in the last 25 years too. But in touring and merchandising was more than people realized because of all the stuff that got deducted from your account with the with the record company so even then that before the digital revolution even before that the tide was turning in that regard and once merchandising became more positively impacted by the availability of technology in regards to production of stuff all kinds of opportunities that weren't available even in 93 and 94 became available by by the turn of the century and i think that that's impacted it a lot but what's happened to record sales as a source of income for artists is 
sad. It is because we talk about albums a lot on this podcast, and the album is a very important musical piece because it is most of the times when an album's done well is a concept. Just because it's a concept album doesn't mean it's a prog album. And I think that's where people... Or a story album or, a story or an album. operetta or but, anything. Yeah, right. but, but songs tell stories. What that story means to you is different than what that story means to me. And it's very different than the story that the singer-songwriters wrote. Again, it's how we interpret it. And it's frustrating that people don't listen to albums because I think we're missing a lot out by not listening to the full stories of the bands, so to speak. It's a concept that some artists are trying to hold on to or bring back. Vinyl has helped. Mm -hmm. The embracing of vinyl... Boy, are we getting off on a tangent. Yep, cassettes but, too. No, but the but the growth of vinyl, you can put your finger on the day when vinyl passed all other forms of media combined for sales and say vinyl has caused people to re-embrace the concept of the album, especially people who are half our age. Mm -hmm. Okay, We don't may not see that as much, but I, I see it with Brandon. Well, he's my stepson, like my son, and with Eric too. He's got my Genesis uh, selling England by the pound vinyl. Give it back. He Give rolls, it back. And I told him it's okay. It's part of his inheritance anyway. <laughs> He's getting a little bit early. That's a whole nother story. But anyway, but um, getting back to what we're talking about with the record business, you know, you're right. And that's part of the reason why ZZ Top has uh, been trying to tour more and stay on the road, even if they're not going to make records for a while. They've done their share as far as uh, anyone could expect for them, mm -hmm. as far as guys who've done it. And the thing is, we did a, an episode where we talked about bands that had been together more than 25 years. So 51 years and counting. God bless them. I'm glad that they're still doing it because what they do is just party on dude blues, man. Let's get down and dirty. Get yep. down in the Rio Grande mud. You love getting down in the mud, I know. Absolutely. Getting down in the mud is a beautiful thing. Four-wheeling is the way to go. Oh, yeah. That's what you were talking about. <laughs> I was re-listening to the Woodstock episode uh, last week, and you are uh, talking about your muddy <laughs> love, so don't fuck with me on that. I know what you're talking about. I know the about. mud love. I'm just being shy here. All I can say is if you haven't watched the uh, ZZ Top documentary on Netflix, go do it. You're going to have fun for like an hour and a half. You're going to have fun. You're going to learn things about these guys. And uh, you will see Billy Bob Thornton acting like a teenager. And Josh has got some nice things to talk about, too, is his perspective on things uh, is, is very cool as far as I'm concerned. Well, it, at one point, everybody starts to wonder, am I going to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Yep. And uh, and some people don't give a shit about it. Some people actually uh, are against it, even though they'll accept it if that's mm -hmm. what happens. And, and ZZ Top gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004. Whatever the honor means, they're in. But it was the class that they went in with, some of the people that they went in with, Marcus. George Harrison as a solo artist. That purple fellow from Minneapolis, Prince Rogers Nelson. Jackson Brown, the epitome of laid-back California singer-songwriters in the 70s, right? Bob Seger, a man who defied all odds, stuck with it through everything, and then gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the other thing that surprised me it took that long was traffic. Lisa, you, I don't know where I am going to. 
I mentioned it earlier, and you said you wanted to hear it, so I suppose before we go, I should tell the uh, story of the time that ZZ Top scared the fuck out of me. Yeah, go for it. I was working at WISP in Philly, and I was doing a lot of night work, and, and they were in town promoting a new record. I think Joey Rags was the uh, record guy. I draw the, the lucky straw. I'm going to get to interview ZZ Top live on the air. You know, Marcus, you've, uh, in the summertime, you've been in enough of those dark air-conditioned studios. It felt like that dark air-conditioned studio. I'm feeling nice and cool, but I'm nervous. And I don't know why. And they come in, and there they are, the living embodiment of all these times I've seen them play, and I'd never met them before. So it was a little unnerving as we all sat down. And in my nervous nilliness, I introduced, here's Frank Beard, Billy Gibbons, and Dusty Baker. And there's a pause in the room, and my eyes must have looked like, you know, the size of silver dollars. (laughs) Dusty Hill tilts his head and says, Dusty Baker, boy, what's wrong with you? And I said, Jesus, Dusty, you sitting there, the three of you sitting here, I cop to it right away. I said, the three of you sitting here, I'm I'm scared shitless, basically. You know, I put it differently because FCC and all yeah. that. And once they realized that it wasn't that I didn't know what I was doing, that I was just nervous to be interviewing them, that we all laughed and pat each other on the back, you know, mm-hmm. not really, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So we all laugh and then we all get settled in and Billy's sitting across from me and he's got his sunglasses down on the end of his nose, just staring at me over him and I'm just like oh my god he's he, he probably thinks i'm an idiot right so i asked him my first question was about the guitar he had made out of one of the planks of the cabin where muddy waters was born and all of a sudden he relaxed now what really knocked me out was the cheap sunglasses so i relaxed <laughs> and then dusty relaxed and frank frank's always relaxed apparently because just like in the documentary, just in any other time I've ever seen him, he is like loose and hard to swallow, man. Come on. You know, he's like such a cool guy. I asked him about a bunch of stuff and I said, okay, I, I got you all here. I have to ask. When you guys were doing the video shoots for Give Me All Your Loving and uh, Legs and all that stuff, did anything happen with any of you and the models and actresses involved? And they're going, oh, no, man, we're all married guys. Meanwhile, Billy and Dusty are pointing at Frank on me. He's selling about. I didn't say anything. This is probably the first time it's ever come out that that happened actually behind the scenes other than Whoa. me telling this story at a bar. There he is. They're all, they left me laughing and there's somewhere there's a picture of me and my pal Nancy Palumbo. The ZZ Top. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. And I know we're getting ready to wrap up, but I still think a good thinking point is Frank Beard being hell-bent on teaming up with Billy Gibbons and Dusty and the mental drive without having a lot of detail about that is fascinating. That would be all I would ask Frank Beard about. That's what I would want to know from Frank Beard is But that I didn't calling. know that kind of stuff back then because Me neither. About, this is like over 20 years ago. The internet was just coming around. We didn't mm-hmm. really know half the things we can find out now, right? Yeah. But I would love to have him on. I would love to now to talk I, about all that. First off, and I know this is going to come out all wrong, but when you're talking to somebody who's got that uh, that speedy thing going on, it could be a whole lot of fun to do an interview. And one last little weird ZZ Top fact. Ten albums, one word names. Four albums, two word names. One album, three word names. They kept it wow. simple and kicked your ass, and you remember that. So now you're going to tell me how it's all Obama's fault. That that all happened, right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> 
All right. We're going to tell you to check in with us on Facebook at Imbalance History of Rock and Roll Anytime or on Twitter at Imbalance Histo. You can email us at imbalancehistory at gmail.com or just go to the website and listen to an episode anytime on imbalancedhistory.com. We are part of the Pantheon Broadcast Podcast Universe. It keeps growing, you know. Yeah, it keeps getting bigger. If you want to check out other music podcasts, check out some yeah. of the uh, great music-related podcasts that are uh, on the Pantheon Podcast Network, like Shelley Sorensen. If you like to read books, check out Shelley Sorensen, the Rock and Roll Librarian. Yeah, she's a great one. Martin Popoff, there's a bunch. Go check them all out. And while you're there, listen to us once in a while. We thank you for that. Uh, I think we got we got to bounce out here. And yes, by the way, I, we didn't mention this earlier, but i got to say it's good to see you in person. It's good to see you as well. It's been a while. So let's wrap it up now and get to another episode of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Hi, everyone. We're your beer-drinking babes. I'm Ashley. And I'm Nagy. And we're from Rock Candy Podcast. Every week, we bring you a story from the world of music while drinking thematic beers. Did you ever wonder how much Charles Manson inspired the music you love today? Did you know that Joy Division and New Order are virtually the same band? Are you aware of how weird Kesha really is? Like, how she had sex with a ghost? Do you also not understand what Post Malone is? Because we don't. Well, we got you covered. Behind the Music isn't around anymore, but we're here to pick up the slack. And be a little drunker. Yeah, so go ahead and look for Rock Candy Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party on, kids. Party on. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.